Hi, I'm Mark Cuban. I'm Jackie Keese, and welcome to On The Tools. Every Wednesday... You mean hump day? <laughs> we talk about what we've been watching, reading, listening to, and scrolling through. We're self-appointed experts on content. Because that's a real job. And making each other laugh. But that's what we do mostly during 9 to 5. <laughs> welcome to On The Tools. Welcome! Hi, Jackie Keast. Hi, Mark Cuban. I must say, you're looking mighty aquatic today. Can you uh, take me through today's fashion ensemble? <laughs> a bikini and a snorkel, though. I just went for a swim. <laughs> oh, that's good. I don't I've think come this... to the uh, studio covered in chlorine. Chlorine. Yeah. <laughs> and a towel. Um, so this week, I'm going to be talking about two podcasts, Bear Brook and Art Wank. And I'm going to talk about a Apple Plus TV show. Oh, that's not the right what it's called. Apple TV Plus <laughs> show, Severance, and a podcast called Shithole Country. Um, so, Bearbrook, uh, this is a great true crime podcast. The host, Jane Moon, uh, keeps it nice and tight. It's not new, but it's one of my all-time favourites. The reporting is top-notch and the interviews are great. The big draw card for me is the lack of sensationalism that many crime podcasts are guilty of. You've, I think you've listened to this as well, haven't you? Yeah, you recommended it to me and then I listened to it. Did you like it? Yeah, it was really good. It's really interesting. So in 1985, two bodies were found in a barrel in the woods in Allentown, New Hampshire, in Bearbrook State Park. The barrel was stumbled on by a bunch of kids in a fairly remote part of the state park. Um, these kids lived on a site that in its day was a fairground that went broke and was subsequently abandoned, eventually becoming a squatter's trailer park of sorts. It's kind of a creepy setting already. In 2005, a second barrel was found containing two more bodies. It was determined that the bodies were that of a woman and three young girls. No one knew their names, where they were from. They didn't any missing persons file. It was a complete puzzle to the police and it became a cold case. So in 2015, the host of this podcast, Jason Moon, began reporting on the murders after it was announced that authorities were using a new forensic technique in order to try to identify the bodies. Uh, Moon, who hosts the podcast, wrote a six-and-a-half-minute script for a report on the murders, which he later expanded into an episode um, which was one through to three of the podcasts at the suggestion of one of his colleagues. Uh, through incredible podcasts, slowly the pieces of the puzzle spanning over three decades start to connect. The investigation gets more momentum as people who follow the podcast get involved. Um, there's basically a bunch of amateur sleuths just pouring through all this information, a whole bunch of stuff. But one person in particular was a, a woman called Rebecca Heath, who was a Barbarian and researcher took a special interest in she discovered the podcast and who ultimately helped solve the murders. Um, and I read somewhere that the initial breakthrough in the case took, I think, about 10,000 hours of work from people and from the public 
and the public had gen generously donated, I think, $36,000 to New Hampshire Public Radio to keep the podcast going. It's highly addictive. I won't give anything away. Uh, and I think what makes this podcast so special is that it showcases the length people and the police go to solve these sorts of cases. Like, you know, 30 years is a long time to kind of rekindle a cold case. Mm. A crazy long time. But it's a case, it's solved by basically helping to, well, not, I don't want, should I give anything away? I don't know. I don't think you can give anything away. I think it's just a case of, I think what's so fascinating about this particular podcast is that the science behind, behind um, DNA sequencing and I think how it evolved. So no longer was it that if, for example, you left your DNA on something and you your dna was on file then they could match it now it's gone so much further that if for example chris decides to poison the duckweed <laughs> and leaves toxic can lying around and you go to one of the genealogy sites and provide your dna i think the technology has gone to a point where they can actually match Chris through your DNA. Yeah, so it's the, I think this was the first case ever where they used basically ancestry or those yeah, kind of, of those websites sites. where you can track your, your ancestors, but they used it to help trace I, a killer. Which was interesting because, like, I didn't think, I didn't think they kind of sold, well, they don't sell, I don't know if they sell the DNA, but they certainly share that information. And then I thought that, all those kind of ancestry type sites or genealogical sites um, had shared the DNA with like this large organization that yeah. basically stored it all. Yeah, so they could access it, the police. But there's like a lot of issues. I've read a New Yorker article about one of the women that was involved in kind of helping police solve crimes using those websites. And there's a lot of issues with um, anonymity. A privacy and stuff like that with your with DNA being shared because even if say one of our third cousins decided to put search for their ancestors on ancestry.com people would be able to find our DNA through that that you don't need to I don't need to no one in my direct family needs to have done that for my DNA to be worked out kind of through those websites so yeah well we have nothing to hide <laughs> well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and what have you got? <laughs> so I've been watching Severance on Apple TV Plus, and I guess like this is one of my shows of 2021. I don't think I'm alone in that. It was nominated for 14 Emmys. It's a little bit slow to start, but the last episode was so tense, and it ended on such a cliffhanger. Like I was literally on the my couch and screaming at the tv and like sweating the whole show i just felt on edge and it ends at such a point that it's like where is the next season i need it now but um severance is somewhere between psychological thriller and sci-fi with a dose of comedy it's created by dan erickson directed by ben stiller and Eve mccardle and the, the conceit of the show is most extreme version of work-life balance you can imagine so essentially we 
follow these people who work for a mysterious company known as Lumen. And these people have chosen to undergo a brain procedure to mentally sever their work cells, known as innies, from their personal cells, known as outies. <laughs> just like belly buttons. Hmm. <laughs> so the idea is that your innie goes to work for you and you don't remember what they do. You don't remember your colleagues. You don't remember anything about the experience of work. You just go down the elevator and your brain severs. You don't remember the next eight hours. You just come to in the elevator going up, heading back to reception and out to your car. And on the flip side, the innie, they never leave work. Like their day starts when they come down the elevator and ends when they go up again. And I think that you... happens to me when I go clubbing with you. <laughs> I'm in a blackout for the next eight hours. Can't remember <laughs> you that night. <laughs> But you realize these innies, they're basically indentured slaves. Like, not only that, they're working in the most terrible often imaginable. It's gray, it's windowless, they're doing a form of data, pro data processing. Like, they and we, the audience, have no idea what their work is actually for. They're sorting these numbers into buckets. And when they achieve their arbitrary goals, of which they have no idea of how they assist the business, they are with inane things like a melon to eat or finger traps, you know, those little things you stick your fingers in both ends and then you can't get them out, or like a, a caricature of themselves. Hang on, hang on. Why are they given a finger trap? What, Just as fun? a reward. Yeah, like, you did a good job. I mean, they don't ever leave work. They don't get paid, so they just need something. Or if they meet their quota as a team, they can have what's called a waffle party. What's it? Depressing? It sounds horrible. It's so interesting. It's a sci-fi. It's like a, it's so interesting. So they have no idea of their home lives, if they have a partner, children, even what kind of house they live in. They've never seen the sun and they're asked to worship the creator of this business, Lumen, which feels less like a business and more like a cult. So we predominantly follow four ladies and the only person we see on the outside world is the main character, Mark played by Adam Scott, and at work, his innie is this kind of, like, cheery, happy-go-lucky guy that loves working at Lumen, like, he's fully drunk the Kool-Aid. But on the outside world, he's a complete mess. He's an alcoholic, he's depressed. We realise he's severed himself because his wife has died and he wants to sort of reprieve some part of himself from that grief. But instead, it's like he's trapped himself in a world where, as an Audi, there is nothing but sit in grief he never has the distraction of work and his life is this kind of meaningless blur with his only significant relationship his sister. and adam scott it like portrays both sides of this person so well that you really do believe that they are two different people and then anyway so one day outy mark meets in a restaurant this guy who tells him his best friend from work and is on the run after having escaped from lumen Ali Mark has, of course, no idea who this person is, but it starts to make him question what the hell his work self is up to and why it's so bad that someone needs to escape. And our other entry to this world is Helly, a woman who's just started at Lumen as an innie, and she hates it and she's trying to resign and she tries to escape, but her outie, the person on the outside world, won't let her leave. I like so, 
Oh, that sounds okay. Now, really, no. yeah. so eventually, Helly she forces Mark and her colleagues at Lumen, the Innies, to start to question what there's going on for this mysterious company they work for. Uh, I won't give anything away, but the things really unravel from there. There's a lot of twists, and there's a really incredible cast. Patricia Arquette is there, really scary boss. Um, you've got Christopher Walken, John Turturro, and the show. The world of the show is really complex and thought out. It's yeah, a commentary on capitalism and how mundane office life can be. The production. And the office they work in is amazing, but it's also about free will and it's yeah. Do you it's think do you think environments like that really exist? That just <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the office working. <laughs> I don't think it's like that at all. No, it's not like that. It's not. I actually did work in a place like that when I was in uni. I did uh, data entry for a job for a while because it was so easy. I could just listen to my iPod and type in type up invoices. But that was in a windowless room with like fluorescent downlights. Creepy boss that came behind me and used to massage my shoulders. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. No one you left. <laughs> I wow. worked there for like two years. It was okay. Sexual harassment was fine. I just need to pay my way through uni. <laughs> oh my god! So I've been listening I to. I haven't finished talking. Oh, sorry. <laughs> No, I was going to say, would you sever your work self? No. Well, like, I, that's because it kind of, like, how... I think it's in... too important. I think, like, you know, I, I did think about this. So I've got a few friends who, I wouldn't say have retired, but they've kind of left their jobs and they're on boards and they're doing other things. But, you know, work does bring structure, you know, and there's a socialisation aspect and... You know, there are times when, of course, work can be dull, but then there's times when you're doing something and you really enjoy it and it's really fulfilling and you're learning something. I mean, I think work, well, it depends what you do, but for me, for us, I think, it's always exciting. I think there's always something to do and, you know, the the topics kind of change. Um, oh, no, I don't. I, I, you know, I think my feels like it fuels my life in lots of different ways not just financially rewarding yeah like i feel like there's part of work that is inherent to our identity and it gives us a sense of purpose though i also feel like people who identify solely with their jobs are a little bit sad like the work can never love you back but like also so much of our lives are spent there, maybe more time than we spend with our own families. And like if we didn't work together, we wouldn't know each other, for instance. Look, I think I always look at work, you know, that it offers three things. So, you know, it might be culture, it might be really satisfying work. And then that third point, that triangle, might be remuneration. And a lot of times you'll get two out of the three. Yeah, I don't have the remuneration. <laughs> But anyway, so, you know, and I think some people you know, just maybe don't have the culture, maybe the work's not rewarding, but they get paid a hell of a lot of money and it keeps them there. And, yeah. you know, and I would have to be in that situation. How do you get the golden triangle? The, the Trapped. I think you have to create it yourself. <laughs> and you'll enjoy yourself, but all your underlings won't. That's all right. No. <laughs> 
Um, so I've been listening to a podcast called Art Wank. Um, I really love this podcast. You know, I absolutely love art. Um, Are you an art wanker? Uh, an art wanker. No, I don't think I'm an art wanker. Maybe <laughs> I can be. I don't know. But my mother and grandmother both with oil, so the smell of linseed oil and oil paints is very comforting to me. Because they were both migrant women, all of the paintings were conceptually the same. Um, what do you mean? They all looked the same. It was just like... What uh, does it have to do with them being migrant I women? I think they were homesick and they were... So they just painting they were pictures of the old country? Landscapes of Europe. And, yeah. You know, but maybe that's what creative endeavours are, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. I think it's true for directors. You know, I mean, Quentin Tarantino. Knows a good point. Um, I know he's a filmmaker, but his stuff is kind of the same formula. Um, well, you know, it's a Tarantino movie. Well, you do, right? So, and I think a lot of the directors are like that. That they make the same film over and, and refine it, or you know, um, I'm trying to think who did the British director who did. I don't remember the film now. But anyway, his stuff is always the same. He was married to Madonna. What was his name? Oh, Guy Ritchie. Yeah. You know, he's got the mm. same formula himself, right? It's always kind of like the same thing, mm. but different. Uh, so, of course, I was never really a fan of my mother's or grandmother's work. However, <laughs> I, I do think my appreciation for art started with my art teacher, Phil Trick, Um he just had a way of teaching which didn't feel like you were being taught. Um, and his other attributes among the other boring desert boot teachers was that he had this sort of mysterious demeanour, a great beard, rode motorcycles, styling. Um, <laughs> so he was a cool teacher. He was a cool teacher, but my interest <laughs> really perked up when I discovered a little side project of his, uh, which was he designing a new a motorbike for his motorbike that was in the shape of a woman's torso. Oh, my God. Come on. At 14, <laughs> that was fine art in my humble opinion. <laughs> Had you ever seen a woman's torso at that time? <laughs> Only my mother's. Right. Come on, it was good. Anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> art Wank. Is a really cute podcast for anyone interested in art or who's working within the arts community. It's hosted by two very comical artists, Fiona Verity and Julie Nicholson. They sort of remind me of us, Jackie Keese. They're a little, oh, really? they're a little, yeah, they're a little tongue in cheek. And listening to them makes me want to invite them for, over to dinner, or maybe they should be invited to join the, the Negroni Club. Um, <laughs> They're fun and curious. The podcast is them interviewing artists, curators, gallery owners, teachers, and other creatives. And the banter is very, very funny. They're very, they're clever. Um, and they digress often. So it's not just art. And normally the subject they're interviewing kind of joins in and knows who they are. Um, the podcast I listened to most recently was Ep 112. Uh, where they interviewed Tara Axford, who is a mixed-media artist. Um, but I was interested in her because she not only was a mixed-media artist, and I kind of like her work. She collects things that she finds and creates them into artwork. But she was also, I think, for 25 years, had a 25-year career as art director for the Good Weekend magazine. Mm. Um, 
anyway, they start this particular podcast while eating. And the sounds of them masticating is purely revolting. It's just you're not telling me. It's gross, but in a funny kind of way. Then they talk about their husbands, and one of them starts talking about you know her husband sucking on a grapefruit or something. Um, I really wanted to pull my own ears off. Um, it's really accessible, and you know it's it's kind of a really so it sounds very relaxed. It's look, it's just a. It's a conversation, um, you know, it's a conversation with a whole bunch of really interesting people, you know, who are basically artists or involved in the art scene, um, you know, regardless of me. It's, and it, look, for me, I really liked it. It was really interesting and in sort of getting a sense of, you know, how it all works. Um, it's a good, it's a good site, a good podcast. Um yeah, and so, yeah, I liked it a lot. And I think if you're interested in art, it's definitely uh, a podcast for you. Did you say it's very Australian-focused? Well, yeah, most of it's Australian, I think. Um, but they they sound, the two sound British. Uh, so mm. it's kind of like a, you know, and the British are always, they're, they're great writers, right? And so their comedy's a bit British and it's they're fun. I think, you know, and there's a whole bunch of artists they interview um their their sound design of the recording isn't the best sometimes it's like someone's moved a microphone or something and you know the the person they're interviewing someone disappears <laughs> um but it's good and like like i said i think it's just you know that whole art scene even though i like art, i don't really understand the industry or the sector um mm. and so they talk to a lot of people and yeah it's quite fascinating so it's mm. art wank. Art wank. <laughs> art wank. All you need are headphones. So over my, I think a while ago now, I listened to a podcast called Shithole Country. Um, I saw that it appeared on a few best of lists last year, including in, in Time magazine and in Vulture. So, shithole country is an. <laughs> I just really enjoy saying that. <laughs> is an audio memoir of a Ghanaian American woman, and she records under a pseudonym under the name Afia. I won't give it away, but she uses a pseudonym because it becomes clear as the episodes progress when she reveals an aspect of her identity that impacts the rest of the story. So the title of the podcast is a reference to Donald Trump, who called African countries, as well as Haiti and El Salvador, shitholes back in 2018, <laughs> when he also reportedly asked why the US can get more immigrants from Norway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Donald Trump is a bit... Because they Human. think America's a shithole. <laughs> 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 so, Afia is 30. She's born in New York and she lives in San Francisco. And we follow her as she goes on a 2018 trip to visit her parents in Ghana. So, after moving to the US in the 70s, her parents moved back to Ghana in 2014. And they now want Afia to move back too. So much of the podcast is her kind of grappling with that, this idea, like her life in America 
is all she's ever known. But at the same time in America, she's recently lost her job as a copywriter. Prior to she's living this really precarious freelance life. She's on unemployment benefits. They're about to run out. She can't afford healthcare or rent. San Fran is America's most expensive city. In Ghana, is it her- more expensive than New York? I believe so. You may fa- you can fact check me. I don't I don't remember if I fact checked. <laughs> um, All our American listeners, you're a liar. <laughs> in Ghana, her parents are offering her a free apartment in a complex they developed. Her parents are. They've hustled in the US, they've returned to Ghana with money and we follow her for years. She goes to an opera, she goes to a polo bash, like she's living the high life and Ghana's economy is sort of on an upswing. It's one of the fastest growing in the world. And so Afia kind of has this realisation in America, I'm a nobody, but in Ghana, I'm somebody. So which country offers the better life? Like which is the shithole country? So anyway, we travel around with Afia, sit with her, she talks to her about why she moved to America. We go out with her. We go back to America. When we listen to her, she questions what she should do. So as you can kind of imagine, the podcast deals with the way perceive and characterize countries and kind of place them into hierarchies like what does a developing country actually mean and is the u.s really the promised land the developed nation to which all other nations should aspire to and it takes on this idea that countries in africa are seen even by progressives as poverty-stricken struggling places that offer little but I think beyond this, the show is also about identity and Afia coming to terms with who she is. And in fact, I think it ties back to that idea of vertical and horizontal identity, which we talked about back in episode three, where I talked about the book Far From the Tree. So like, there's identities that we inherit from our parents, and then there's those that are just ours, our own. So this like includes the struggles faced by children of immigrants, we might not like your uh, par- <laughs> your mum's painting, for instance, of Europe. But like ha- that idea of having—I mean, how many mountains can you paint? <laughs> but like this idea of having two feet in two places at once, and but never feeling whole in either. Like I fear she doesn't quite feel that she identifies completely with other Black Americans, but she feels so enmeshed with American culture that she doesn't really feel she fits in easily in Ghana either. Like she says she feels like an imposter when she goes. It's um, it's an interesting thing. Like I'm first generation Australian. Um, you know, my parents migrated from uh, Czechoslovakia. You know, culturally I've sort of fallen in between the two cultures. Like I love Australia, but, you know, that Czech culture and tradition doesn't really resonate and, you know, some of the kind of traditions in Australia don't really resonate with me either. Um, mm. <clears throat> respect both of them, of course. You know, I hate Vegemite though. That's just shit. <laughs> what about Pavlova? I love a Pav. <laughs> the Czechs love a Pav. They've got a Pav dish themselves. So. What is this with Australians thinking they had invented Pav and then every country seems to have it? Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I do, but, I do like the Anzac biscuit as well. I mean, Anzac biscuit is good. 
So um, Milo was also good. Yeah, Milo is delicious. <laughs> Milo on ice cream is an Australian national. <laughs> <laughs> but I, this podcast, I guess it stood out to me because of its format. Like I don't remember hearing a memoir in a podcast before, and when I hear a memoir, it's not a book like there are recordings of inter- like kind of interviews or chats that Afia has made during her trip that are included in this, and we also hear her reflections on like those conversations. But we also have these weird tangents that are kind of like her thoughts, and it's kind of poetic. It's really beautiful and uses sound really well. It's super well produced. And I really like the theme song, which is clearly vital in podcasting. And one more time, what was it called? Shithole country. <laughs> Hugh is going to have kittens. But I know there's art wank and shithole country. <laughs> this podcast is rated R. Rated R. But if you want to search for it, I think you have to use asterisk, at least on Apple. So you have to type S, star, 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 whole country. Well, that's it from me, Jackie Keast. That's it from me too. See you next hump day. See you next hump day. I wear more. The <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. 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 B